Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week we read Parasha Vaishlach and there is a very, very disturbing episode that happens in this parasha in which Jacob comes to the land of Shechem with his family and his daughter Dina uh, goes out to look at the, at the place, goes out to look at the girls and suddenly she's captured by the prince of Shechem and he rapes her. He kidnaps her and he rapes her. And then Shimon and Levi, the brothers, are very upset. They're beyond themselves and they come to rescue the sister and they tell them that the, the king of, of Hamor, he comes and he tells them, what is this? Why don't we uh, exchange wives? You marry with our girls, we marry with your girls and we're all gonna become a very happy family. So they decide that they are gonna go with his plan and uh, they tell him that, okay, it's okay, they're gonna do it. But first they all have to circumcise, all the male people, all the male from Shechem have to circumcise. And after they circumcise and they convert to Judaism, then they can marry uh, Jacob's uh, uh, daughters. So what happens is that on the third day, which is the worst day after uh, any surgery, Shimon and Levi come and they kill every male from Shechem. And uh, Yaakov was very disturbed by this, by all this violence. But at the end of the day, the brothers were really uh, defending the sister. This is how you, you cannot do this to a, to a girl, to anybody. And they were stepping up to the plate. So here Rabbi Itzhak Ginsburg gives us a very interesting uh, outlook on what happened. Uh, from a holy perspective and um, <clears throat> it says that Dina, Leah's daughter who she bore to Jacob went out to see the daughters of the land and Shechem son of Hamor the Shivit the prince of the land saw her and he took her and lay with her and assaulted her. So this tragic episode concerning Dina it can be approached from two different angles either it can be viewed from a from a human perspective, as a hor horror story, something horrendous that happened. And also, we can view it from God's omnipresence and His perspective. Because in life, there's always three truths. There's your truth, there's my truth, and there's the, the truth, Hashem's truth. And there's different ways to look at things. And um, yes, we live a, a physical existence. We live in a physical body and we experience physical, uh, physical problems. But in reality, there's a spiritual perspective to it too that is also connected to our physical existence. And there's, uh, there's another side to the story. So from our earthly perspective, rape is obviously the cruelest of, of, of and most un, unimaginable of, of, of sins, of, of, of crimes, and um, it demands that the victim be rescued and be taken care of and brought back to, to life, we can say it, and that the person that perpetuates such a horrible act be punished. So Dina's brothers, as, as I said before, Shimon and Levi, they took this in, in their hands and they adopted the physical human approach. Uh, although the father, Yaakov, was not very happy with this approach, but in reality they were, they were doing what it had to be done. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe emphasized that from an educational perspective, there are some things that are so sanctified 
that the des desecration touches the very essence of the soul. So for a woman, a woman is such a pure being. A woman is like a mezuzah, it's like a Torah scroll. That's why we cover and we dread in a snewed way because we are the, what brings the holiness to the home. A woman is a very, very holy, holy, holy person because she's the one that carries life inside of her. So to, to desecrate a woman really touches the essence of her soul. It's very deep. So, but what happens once the episode was over, so what happened afterwards? Shehem and Hamor wanted to convert to Judaism. They wanted to intermarry with the, with the Jewish girls and, and give them their girls to the Jewish boys. But at the end, uh, this is not what happened. Dina eventually became pregnant and she had a daughter, Asnat, who eventually was taken to Egypt and she was adopted by Potiphar. And later on, we will see that this is going to be Joseph's wife. So from the beginning, uh, Hashem was paving the way to give Joseph a Jewish, a Jewish wife. And, um, and we see that Shimon, the brother, he could not, uh, at that moment, the pain he felt for his sister was so big that he married her and he, he protected her all her life. In those days, the Torah was still not given. So the laws of not marrying a sister were not yet uh, given to the to humanity, so it was permitted at that time. So the way the way to truly heal a wounded soul is to transcend the mundane and to rise to a higher perspective. The only way in which we can heal our pain, our physical pain from physical life experiences, is when we can get out of the physical and transcend it and look at, at it from a higher perspective and understand that there's a purpose in everything that happens to us. As painful as it is, as painful, as horrible as it can be, there is a divine purpose which is hidden in such an act. And, uh, and we see from here that the, the Arizal reveals that although no one at the time was uh, uh, aware of it, somewhere deep down in Shehem, in Shehem's mean, contemplation, petable soul, he had a holy spark that needed to be released. So Shehem, as wicked as, his wa as he was, he, the act he did, there was a holy spark in him that had to be released. And the only person that could bring him to release that holy spark was actually Dina. And that's why it says in the Torah, his soul clung to Dina. His soul, not him, the soul. Because uh, the good element of Shehem's soul escaped and literally clung to Dina. So whatever good he had was released in that act. So moreover, with the spiritual insight, the Arisal revealed Dina's reincarnations throughout their generations. Amongst other, Dina was uh, reincarnated as Abigail. Abigail was one of King David's wives, who was first the wife of Naval the Carmelite. And uh, after he died, King David married her. And later she was reincarnated once again into Rufina, who was Sinus Rufus' wife, who was uh, the, one of the governors of Ju Jerusalem in the times of the Second Temple. He was a very, very wicked man. And she also converted to Judaism and ended up marrying Rabbi Akiva. And also um, we see here that the underlying thing in all Dina's incarnation, incarnations suggests 
that her task, her, her purpose in, in the world, that soul came to this world to make, to pass from someone evil to someone good. That was her, her, her task. So from Shehem Benhamor to her brother Shimon, from uh, Naval to King David, and from Rufi, to Rufus to Rabbi Akiva, and each transfer further clarifies and elevates the sparks that were captured and concealed in the depths of the impure shells. So there's more to the world than we can see, there's more to life than we can grasp. Uh, although we only see what we see and feel what we feel, in reality, it's much bigger than that. And one day, God willing, when Messiah comes, all this knowledge will be revealed to us and we will be able to understand why these things happen. But the Arizal is very, very strong in saying that although we can sometimes retroactively understand why things happen, in hindsight, we can see back and we can say, okay, I understand what this had to happen. In reality, we cannot live our lives thinking like this because um, because that would give a leeway for people to do evil in the world and uh, justify it and in reality that's not the, the case we should avoid evil at all costs we should try never to harm anybody in our lives and we're nobody to know what an, per, another person deserves we're, we're not here prophets we don't know what people deserve and, and we should always try to do kindness and be good people. So here Rabbi Ginsberg teaches us that there's three types of refining. One type of God's service is the service of clarification by which holy sparks that are previously intermingled in mundane or impure realms are rescued from their fate to re return to holiness. So in reality, in Kabbalah, it explains that once the world created, Hashem created a world that was created with Gevura and it could not contain itself, so it, it, it was destroyed. And all these, uh, all these sparks of this world were thrown around the world. They come from the world of Tohu, of, of um, chaos. And what our job is in this world is to elevate these sparks, to bring them and elevate them to their source. So the first method achieved completely, a, a method is achieved completely a priori when an individually consciously deals with the mundane matters with the intention of choosing to do good, thus refining reality through his actions. So the, this is the service of the, the righteous. So for example, every time he eats, a person will take this food and the intention of eating the food is returning the sparks of holiness of this fruit to, to, to their essence, to where they have to come. So when a Jew does a, a braha on a food or on a drink, what he's doing is, is that he's releasing the sparks of that food and the food becomes holy. There, there's a, a term that is called um, like, um, like a, it's, 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 it's not good and it's not bad it's in the it's not either one so it depends on what you do with the with the with the thing that's gonna make it good or it's gonna make it evil so for example with food if food is not good or bad but if you don't do a brahan you don't eat it properly then it's not good okay so this is what this is one of the methods of a of a of clarification then the second me method of clarification happens when I find myself in an unpremeditated situation. For example, you're stuck in an airport for eight hours, the plane's not leaving, and you're there, 
and um, and you think you're stuck there but in reality you're not stuck there Hashem puts you in that place for a reason there's a purpose there I just heard a story of an Elal plane that left and was not able to reach uh, Israel in time before Shabbat and they had to land in, in Greece and all these people that were in this plane were stuck in Greece for Shabbat but in reality they were not stuck in Greece they had to come to Greece to spend Shabbat because they had to release holy sparks from that place so they ended up in a hotel with Chabad, with a Chabad rabbi and the Chabad Rebetzin and they made a beautiful Shabbaton for all of them and they were happy and they were singing and they were making the best of it and that was the whole purpose of not getting to Israel on time for Shabbat. They, there was a purpose for them to be in Greece. So this is, um, this is how the Baal Shem Tov interprets this verse and you shall go to the place Havaya your God will choose. So when we know that everywhere we are, we're meant to be there, That's we, there's a purpose for us there, there's something we have to do in this place, then we will feel much better. We won't say, oh, I'm stuck here, why did this happen to me? No, you know you have a mission. There's a purpose for you to be in such a place. So this method, the, the, one should realize that one travels from place to place are not on one's initiative. Really, we don't choose where we are. We're put where we have to be. And because one is being led from above, the intention being to have his name dwell there, to disseminate holiness in that location. I, I teach, when I teach girls, I say, like, if you're stuck in traffic, take, don't ruin the moment. Like, it's a perfect moment to call your mom. It's a perfect moment to listen to a shiur. It's a perfect moment to meditate on something and learn something new. Take the opportunity and elevate it. Don't think you're stuck anywhere in life. And the third method is as we have seen with Dina, when an individual unwittingly falls into an adverse situation. Like, you don't choose to fall into such... She didn't choose to be raped. God forbid, that person's walking down the street. He doesn't choose to be mugged. We don't choose these things. It's something that we have no control over. So when the process cannot be achieved by any other means, God's intention to refine the world still remains true even under such conditions. So even as horrible as it looks, as horrendous, that whatever happens, it comes from God. And we have to understand it comes from God and it's good. Even if we don't understand it, even if it's painful, even if we think our whole life was ruined, it comes for good, it has a purpose, and, 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 and it's good. So in Dina's case, she was assaulted totally against her will, but there can also be situations in which an individual chooses to do bad. So in this case, when a person chooses to go and steal or chooses to go and do the other thing, there is responsibility, there's accountability. Like you are accountable for your actions. But nevertheless, whatever happened, it was meant to be. Hashem chose you to do it because you were, you were susceptible to falling to that. Your Yetzirah grabs you and you end up doing what you shouldn't be doing. But at the end of the day, the action, what had to happen, had to happen through you or through someone else. So it, this is a very difficult concept to understand. It happened with the brothers of, of Yosef when they sold him to the caravan. And he understood this. When he confronts them, he says, I'm not angry at you because I understand that Hashem had a purpose. I had to be in Egypt. I had to be sold. I had to be a slave. I had to be in jail. I had to live everything I had to live 
to be able to become the viceroy of Egypt and save the world from famine. So there was a purpose for it. But that the brothers erred, they were accountable for that. So we see here that in our generation, the Lubavitcher Rebbe stated that the service of clarification has ended, which in our context means that the first level of consciously clarifying reality achieved by the righteous has ended. Like, we still do it, but it's already done. It's something that has been completed. The sparks, the holiness, the sparks in the world have been elevated. So our current task is to involve ourselves more with the service of unifications. What we have to do in this world now is unify everything to God. Make everything relevant. Reveal Hashem in the world. When we eat kosher and we're doing Abraha, we're bringing God to the world. We're, we're, we're not only elevating the food, but we're making a dwelling place for Hashem in this world. And we're unifying the physical with the spiritual. So that's why it says in the Torah, know him in all your ways. But in general, our consciousness uh, should be directed towards a different goal altogether. The goal of bringing the final redemption. So our generation, our job, our task, all of us at this moment in time is to do things to bring Messiah. That's our job, to do everything in our power to be able to bring the ultimate redemption. And uh, he says, we no longer need to travel to the ends of the world to recite a blessing, like in olden days, a Jew would be in, in Sri Lanka, and he had to be there to recite a blessing to be able to, to elevate the holy sparks that were contained in that place. We don't need to do that anymore. It's done. But, the mo but we have to understand that we are here because we have to achieve not falling into sin. This is another thing we have to learn, not to fall into sin, and not yet, which is, has not ended yet. We still are falling into sin. We're still falling. So the, the Rabbi Ginsberg here gives us something very interesting, and it's called trauma therapy. And how can we incorporate these teachings into trauma therapy? And the knowledge that even the most terrible, terrible fall has a purpose is a first day. This is like resuscitation. When a person goes into shock because something happened to them, just to think, you know what, as horrible as this is, there's a purpose for it that's already a, a, the beginning of the healing. And um, knowing that whatever happens is divinely ordained, elucidates that, that the event it really gives us some comfort because it's not meaningless. Sometimes you hear news, like for example, you hear there's a shooting somewhere and they kill 10 people and it feels so meaningless. It feels like, why does this have to happen? Like all these people have to pass away. It's, it's, what's the purpose? There's no meaning to it. But in reality, we don't see what the meaning really is and there's a purpose for it. So, but, so the healing power to penetrate deep into deep in, enough into our souls and not just serve as a topical painkiller, we need to understand Shehem's father. And his name was Hamor. And Hamor in Hebrew means donkey. And donkey, the donkey, is what's going to bring Messiah. So the Torah's inner dimension reveals that this donkey has much more profound significance than is apparent at first glance. And at the beginning of this parasha, it says that Yaakov said, I have oxen and I have donkeys. He said to his brother Esav when they meet, he says, I have oxen and I have donkeys. 
and the sages teach us that Jacob's oxen refer to Mashiach ben Yosef. There's going to be two Mashiachs. One is Mashiach ben Yosef and the other one is Mashiach ben David. So Mashiach ben Yosef is going to come before Mashiach ben David comes. He's going to pave the way for Mashiach ben David to come. And he's gonna, he's, there's going to be a holy war. It, we don't understand what this holy war is. Maybe it's with, with cyber war. Maybe it's war, a war with words or whatever it is. But at the end, he's going to die in this war. But at the end, this is going to pave the way for the ultimate redeemer, which is Mashiach ben David, to come. So we see here something very interesting. And it says that, well, he's done, the donkey refers to the Mashiach sons of David. David is going to come. The son of David is going to come. He's going to be a pauper riding a donkey. That's what the prophecy says. Ja Jacob's cattle were holy oxen, and his donkeys too were holy, holy donkeys. But by contrast, there are also are oxen and donkeys of impure husks. So there's holy and unholy. So the Hasidut explains that an ox represents heat, a passion. It has an explosive power. So if it's an unholy ox, it's going to be an angry ox. It's going to be anger. It's going to be destruction. But if it's a holy ox, then that power is going to be uh, is going to be channeled for passion, passion for Torah, passion for learning, passion. It's hot. It's 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 passionate. And then we see here that the the donkey, which is uh, an unholy donkey, expresses coldness. If we know, if we learn. I've learned with Rabbi Ginsberg that the Talmud states that a donkey is always cold. He's never warm. Even in the in the summer, even if it's a hundred degrees, the the donkey is cold. Even at the height of summer, so like a stubborn donkey that cannot be shaken from its routine way of life, the donkey-like character of the impure husk manifests apathy and coldness. So it's the reverse from the ox. It's apathy and indifference, and that there's nothing worse than indifference when people don't care. They just don't care what's going on if someone is being mistreated and they're indifferent. They don't look. They don't care. So here we see that the holy indifference is a good indifference because the holy donkey reflects a positive stoicism that allows us to carry everything that God confers upon us as with equanimity and awe of God. And like a disciplined donkey that carries its yoke without complaint. So what it's telling us here in context is that a positive indifference is healthy because in a case where there has been trauma, for example, where someone has suffered something horrendous, you need a little bit of that coldness inside to be able to heal. If you're too much, too much in the pain, you're not going to be able to, to, to get over it. You have to separate yourself from it. And he says here, that, the, the, that, that happens when we submit to God's will without being overwhelmed by the raving emotions that threaten to engulf me. So when we are able to connect to Hashem, we're able to connect to His purpose, why that there's a purpose behind all that has happened by looking at everything from a cool perspective, with cool coldness, rational perspective, not an emotional perspective, but a rational and an intellectual way of looking at things, there happens to be a, like a certain type of detachment from the action. 
you're able to detach yourself and be able to hover above it and look at it uh, from a different angle. So he says here that uh, a good therapist that someone would need to be able to overcome these feelings in which they're trapped and they're traumatized and they have a um, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, the person would need a holy therapist that would be able to have that coldness. Not, it's not that he doesn't feel for the person, but he separates himself from the feelings in order to allow the person to be able to recuperate because if the, the therapist also is empathetic to the point that he can't breathe because of the pain that the other person is feeling, then this person cannot help him. To be able to help a person, you have to be calm and cool and you have to be able to, 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 be able to allow that person to be able to get out of it. And this is true compassion. So Meshiah ben David is referred to as a pauper riding a donkey. It is he who will complete this rectification, bringing healing and comfort to every tortured soul and bequeathing them with a true and comforting sense that all their downfalls were ultimately for the very best. There was a purpose, there, there's a plan, there's something that has to come out of it. And um, that's what should give us the strength to continue. So I wish you a beautiful week and um, with revealed and good things, and may we live a little higher. Thank you.